This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast. And I am Dr. Wei Chun Wang. Thank you very much for tuning in to our very first episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm very excited to be here today with my colleague, Mr. Joey DeGangji. We want to bring you up to speed as to what's going on in this wild business world. Joey, everyone. I'm Joey DeGangi. So, like Wei Chung mentioned, I'm excited to be here on our first podcast episode. You know, we know a lot of businesses have been caught off guard by some of the COVID,、uh, you know, effect on the marketplace. So, we're really excited to share some information about what's going on in the world and where where it's going in the future. Yeah,、uh, based on what Joey said, I, I think it's no、um, uh, secret that in the past six months,、uh, at least,、uh, people have experiencing the disruption brought. Uh, about by COVID nineteen、uh, pandemic, a lot of businesses that we have been talking to have,、um, you know, shared with us their frustration and their really fear about how they sustain their business.、Um, you know, you see the international、uh, market have、uh, revealed some、uh, really frightening、uh, statistics, including the drop in GDP spending, as well as international financial volatility. Let alone that the、uh, employment numbers、uh, have been fluctuating a lot, and uh, obviously uh, governments around the globe have been doing a lot to try to stimulate their economies. But really, you know, from the individual business perspective, we shouldn't expect things could go back to normal.、Um, you know, scientific evidence has shown that this COVID. Uh, pandemic is here to stay for a little while until the effective vaccine comes out. I don't think that we should expect that we can go back to the normal that we were used to. So that adaptability is very, very important. And you also see that during COVID nineteen pandemic, there are companies that have been really, really successful,、uh, either by the nature of the industry that they're in or by the actions that they have actively been taking. To respond to the pandemic and the change in the marketplace,、um, so so really the bottom line is when survival is on the line, we really don't have the choice but to act quick. Now,、um, the businesses、uh, clients that we have been talking to have also shared with us that the the struggles that they have been、um, they have been facing either by a significant drop in the demand、uh, or the sales revenue. Um, and、uh, they don't know how to respond. They don't know how to adapt because they have never used been used to that mentality. Joey, do you want、uh, to share anything related to that? Yeah. So I think another thing that's、um, impacting a lot of businesses is the changing way that they're engaging with customers. 
So there's a lot of businesses that for the longest time have been able to rely on word of mouth, face-to-face interaction. And now all of a sudden, the entire nature of the game has changed. All of our interactions, all of our connections, even with you know friends and colleagues are all taking place on a digital environment. So one thing that we're going to talk about and kind of really watch is how some of these companies are starting to pivot their sales strategies, pivot their funnels, and find new ways to interact with and maintain relationships with customers, and also ways that they're you know actively bringing in new business as this pandemic continues. I, I here have a very good example. Uh, this was an article published by CNBC back in November in 2019. Uh, during an interview that they had uh, with the Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, uh, CNBC reporter asked Reed Hastings about um, the potential competition of Netflix. And as you know, the streaming industry is extremely competitive. Uh, we have you know, so many players in the, in the crowded marketplace at this point, but Netflix has proven itself to be one of the largest uh, player in that market. Uh, so when asked that question uh, about, you know, who uh, Netflix thinks uh, their true competition was, um, you know, Mr. Reed Hastings really responded uh, with some clever answer um, by saying that really there is no competition for Netflix. Uh, the real competition for Netflix is people's time because people only have a limited 24 hours. And I really think that that, that response provided a lot of insight to what's happening uh, in the post-COVID world in that uh, now people don't commute because people work from home due to social distancing requirements. Um, As a result, people spend really a lot of time in front of their computer screen as well as their digital devices. Are businesses nowadays taking advantage of this new trend in that people are now spending more time uh, in a um, stationary setting, staring at their screens or digital devices, um, and are we um, uh, business as business owners taking advantage of uh, monetizing that behavioral change in shifting uh, our marketing effort, gearing towards um, capitalizing people's behavioral changes uh, in trying to come up with uh, ways to increase sales revenue and demand? I think that is a critical question to ask. And in our experiences dealing with our clients in, in the consulting setting, uh, we realize not a lot of people in businesses understand uh, the paradigm shift and not a lot of people are adapting to this uh, paradigm shift. And this goes back to what we said in the beginning that, you know, a lot of people uh, are still expecting that we could somehow go back to the normal that we were used to. Uh, and I, I personally believe that this is a big mistake. And I believe that Joey had shared very similar concerns. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also uh, a need to go beyond just getting online. So as some businesses are starting to catch on to the trend that we're not going back to the, to the, the old normal, at least for the, you know, for the time right now, they're getting online, they're starting to make that move. But then really being able to go beyond, okay, I have a, I have a website or I have a social media now. There's so much more than just getting online. There's there's a lot behind that, and that's another thing that we you know we see a, a gap in. Another takeaway of this uh, pandemic is that there has got to be some very significant changes in the future employment relationships. Hmm. Uh, you know, with uh, with what's happening in the marketplace, everybody is uh, telecommuting. Everybody is working remotely. Uh, how do you conduct, for example, evaluations? How do you conduct the uh, hiring, firing processes? 
um, you know, our, our, our freelancers on the rise uh, because now people are not required to work in a fixed uh, work in arrangement, working arrangements. They don't necessarily have to work in a fixed location. Uh, would we see a rise in the number of digital nomads in the marketplace? It's already been very big in some uh, international markets. For example, in Japan, they, e they even have a specific word and term to describe the freelancing working relationship. Uh, in, Japanese in the Japanese language, it's called hakan. Um, so uh, hakan basically means that um, you, know, um, you, you work for a company on a contractual basis, employment relationship. Um, and the employment relationship could span anywhere between three to six months, and you are being paid by hourly, um, um, and uh, there is absolutely no benefit. Um, so if you look at the financial industry, some unofficial statistics have shown that uh, roughly uh, 600,000 to 800,000 employees working in the banking industry uh, are, not working, uh, are now working from home. Uh, would this trend continue? This is a very interesting uh, phenomenon, uh, certainly. Now, uh, having said, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you see even uh, Twitter. I mean, that's a digital company. Yes. Uh, they, they put an official policy out now after seeing yeah. how their employees were able to adapt and react to the, to the COVID world. Right. They never have to come back. If they want, they can opt to work remotely even right, right. when things return and if, you know, when things are able to go back to, into the office. So you, I think companies are going to start adapting that mentality for, for, the, for the foreseeable future. Right. And I think that Twitter is in a segment that is uh, easy to make that change. So right. there are companies that are successful um, even during the, uh, the uh, COVID pandemic because by default that they are in the segments or industries that allow them to do that. Right. So, for example, like service industries, you have Grubhub, Uber Eats, that deliver foods and deliver groceries to uh, people, you know, with the social distancing requirements in place, those companies are by default uh, doing well. Uh, Zoom, for example, the uh, internet conferencing uh, solution company, by default, they're doing well. Uh, there is also the banking industry that I mentioned, um, you know, they're, they benefit so much from the ongoing money transactions through different financial vehicles um, because they could, uh, you know, remotely uh, complete the transactions on behalf of their clients. Um, and, and, but th that doesn't mean that the, the companies that are not by default in these industries, in these industries, um, couldn't do well. I mean, we, we need to find ways to advise the companies that they could, uh, they could uh, do to actively respond to the pandemic. Uh, and like I said, really, the survival, um, when a survival is on the line, you really need to act quick. Yeah. Um, so I think a couple of examples that we have found is that, um, you know, local restaurants, right? So mm. uh, local small businesses, not chain restaurants, they need to respond to um, uh, the, uh, the new train uh, because dining, dining in is extremely limited at this point. So I've seen, you know, one of the very popular local restaurants in my neighborhood, uh, they started using, they started taking credit cards, they started using the Grubhub services, uh, not necessarily they want to, um, their customers to, to keep using Grubhub and not picking up, but they literally take advantage of Grubhub's digital platform 
um, to publish their menus so that their customers know what to order and they could call in and with the use of credit card, they could sustain their miss their businesses somehow. I think um, curbside pickup is another way that you see a lot of restaurants adapting. Like there's some local ones around here that there's, you know, they advertise on their social media or even just signs on the street as you're passing by the restaurant, you know, we do curbside now. So finding these alternative ways to interact with customers is, is important. And I, I personally uh, seen a lot of personal trainers uh, mm, deliver yeah. online programs uh, to people who want to still, you know, maintaining their, their physical strength during the pandemic, you know, let alone, you know, you see colleges, uh, higher education institutions, they have been conducting virtual open houses, trying to maintain their enrollment effort um, uh, and, and making sure that students would still have an opportunity to visit campuses without physically uh, being on campus. There are, most of the businesses uh, and institutions that are on are in salvage mode, right? So how do we then ensure long-term success? Um, we gotta we gotta find a way to make sure that people understand how they capitalize uh, this new um, uh, new phenomena or uh, a, a new way of of conducting business and how they could uh, turn this into. Uh, something positive rather than reactionary. Yeah. And that kind of ties back into what we were talking about, being able to measure the effectiveness of any of the actions, any of the measures that you're putting in place. And that's how you can go from salvage mode to finding what the sustainable practices are that you, that can keep you going. And, and I think at this point that most people understand the importance of uh, pivoting and, or being adaptive. Uh, if you look at a history, we could share some fair uh, you know, uh, some examples that, are, that fail to adapt and, uh, you know, to try to uh, really do things differently when the environment changes. So, for example, take a look at the cable TV industry um, now is pretty much being replaced by the streaming industry. From all the, all the people that we've been talking to, uh, you know, friends and families, and most of the people are streaming nowadays. Cable TV industry, I would argue, has not changed their way of operations for what, over 50 years? And you look at number, the number of their subscribers now, right? Um, yeah. They're completely dominated by the streamers. Uh, those who didn't cut the core are usually older in age, uh, but the customer base, as, you, as we know, is going to be shrinking very rapidly. Um, and, um, you know, take a look at, for example, Blockbuster, right, uh, who used to be huge uh, and now is being completely replaced by you know, uh, first Netflix, then, then all these competition in the crowded market space. Yeah. And what I think is always really striking about some of these cases is that a lot of these companies had the technology, the means, the resources to effectively adapt to the changing marketplace, but then instead decided to ignore or not acknowledge the disruption. I think one of the, one of my favorite examples of that is Kodak. They were actually one of the first to pioneer digital uh, photography, but then patented it and then and didn't do anything with it because they thought that film was always going to be the, the what people chose to do. And eventually they were, you know, served by however many new uh, companies like Canon, Nikon. I mean, they were taken over, but they were the first to be able to do it, but they just didn't fully understand the significance of the changing marketplace. It's so interesting that you mentioned Kodak because yesterday there was a news about Kodak now uh, getting some um, financial support from the U.S. government. Kodak has oh. since pivoted 
to make, um, uh, you know, uh, chemi chemical compounds that will support the manufacturing of uh, important drugs. And, uh, but, but, you know, it's not uh, as clear as to whether or not their endeavor will be successful, but at least they're making the change. So even Kodak, companies like Kodak are still are, are trying to really adapt to the new marketplace and uh, trying to survive. And I think that's uh, a lesson learned to a lot of uh, evil, e even small, mid-sized businesses, that we really need to actively do something uh, in this changing environment. And, and you know, we, we talked about how now people spend a lot more time on their digital devices and the screen in front of their computer screens because of this because because of telecommunication, uh, because of the telecommuting. Um, now I want to shift gear and talk a little bit about the importance of digital marketing and digital analytics. Um, so you know a lot of the small and mid-sized businesses that we've been talking to recognize the importance of digital marketing. Unfortunately their way of doing digital marketing is simply put on a Facebook page or Instagram page. And some um, younger clients that we have been dealing with uh, would go one step for further to have a Snapchat profile or an Instagram uh, account or even a TikTok, TikTok account. But, you know, you can't have all these accounts for the sake of having the accounts. You really need to do it uh, in a smarter way. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, the first steps is really think about who, you're, who are your customers. It's not just enough to, to get on every single platform. And then, you know, like Dr. Wong was saying, that's not, that's not a, uh, a, a sustainable approach. If you know that you have a younger audience, for example, then, okay, you know, Snapchat, TikTok, those are good places to start. If your audience, though, is older generation or, you know, more business to business, you might want to lean towards LinkedIn. So really do your homework, understand, you know, what all of these different platforms and why they're different from each other and then make informed decisions from there. I think that's one of the first things that we always advise clients about. And I often joke about this with, uh, with my clients and customers, you know, talking about how now, nowadays Google and Facebook are the new governments who will uh, charge you taxes whenever you try to sell something. Because whenever my clients are trying to sell something, they would always have to pay ads fee ad fees to either Google or Facebook uh, trying to promote their services or products. But you got to do it in a smart and effective way. Because at the end of the day, the return on investment is the critical thing that we care about and we want to pay attention to. So uh, talking about digital marketing, I think the more important thing that we need to pay attention to is the data analytics part of it. Um, each platform that we talked about, including Facebook, Google, uh, um, uh, Instagram, or LinkedIn, each platform provides a dashboard to help monitor effectiveness of any campaigns. As simple as a post. Uh, if you put on a post, you, know, you obviously will get impressions. You obviously want to get more likes uh, and, uh, and, and more shares. Um, you really want to make sure that you maximize the engagement level while uh, spending the right amount of money pushing for your contents to the marketplace to the right people. And a lot of people uh, misunderstood this by thinking, oh, as long as I, I spend money, I could have the conversion. So the key question that we should ask is how do we convert data into a revenue stream? I strongly recommend you to take a look at your local Facebook marketplace page. 
there is a lot of, uh, you know, junk products that are being sold there. And you want to really identify the things that really catch your attention. What are the attributes? You need to ask the question. And you really need to look at those, peop those people that, that spend a lot of effort and time putting together nicer descriptions, as well as taking good pictures of their products to be listed on Facebook Marketplace. And those are the people that generally do better uh, in their uh, sales. And this is exactly the same thing and same mentality that you need to apply to, the, to your digital marketing effort. Again, it goes back to the dashboard uh, analysis. It, it goes back to the numbers uh, that you need to analyze in terms of um, the engagement level as well as the conversion rates. Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of along with what you're saying, be able to tie, you know, under, go deeper than just the metrics at their face value. So I was having a conversation with one client the other day. Um, now, she was pretty social media savvy. She had a good website, a pretty active Instagram feed, and a, you know, a nice high-end product. And we were talking about different ways to bring attention to what she was selling. And so one of the popular solutions that you see a lot of people doing now, you know, how about an influencer? And so we were having this conversation around the idea of influencer marketing which for anyone that, you know, isn't as familiar, that's just when you have someone with a, a lot of big social media following uh, talk about or show off or wear your product and try to bring attention to it and, and, you know, provide a link. And so as we were evaluating it, you know, they, they read off a couple of names of people that they thought would be suitable influencers. And the number attached to, you know, every person was, okay, how about so-and-so? They have 15,000, 20,000 followers. That number alone, though, doesn't make or break what you're going to be going to be doing. So if you're paying someone, you know, uh, $100 per thousand followers or per 10,000 followers to post something, what is, what's that really getting you? Someone can have 20,000 followers but have a conversion rate of about 2% versus someone that may only have 2,000 really loyal followers that are interested. They have a, a very strong rapport with that influencer. So what, what's the conversion rate? What's the uh, cost per click, cost per sale? You can look at all of these things. That's going from the face value metrics to really understanding what does that mean for my business? That turns into valuable, actionable information. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So in our future episodes, we're going to dive deeper into uh, all these data analytics, uh, as well as sharing uh, the tips and uh, uh, experiences that we have learned from our past engagements with our audience. So stay tuned for more updates. Thank you very much again for tuning in. My name is Wei Chun Wan, and I have my partner here, uh, Joey Degangji. Uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you more in the future. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>